Warriors. I'm Heather Cohen. And I'm Tracy Ellis. And today we have a special guest, Melody Dawn, the administrator of Where is Jimmy Bingham and victim advocate, is very well versed on everything Jimmy Bingham, which is our subject of discussion today. She is a truly remarkable woman who dedicates her life to helping families of missing persons and unsolved murders. So without further ado, please welcome Melody Dawn. Hi, guys. Thank you. Hello, Melody. (laughs) You're welcome. Hey, I know how important this case is to you and how much energy that you've put into it. What we know right now is that Jimmy Bingham was last seen on June 17th of 2018. He's 45 years old and he's described as a Caucasian male with brown hair and brown eyes standing about five foot eight and weighing about 160 pounds. He was last seen wearing jeans, a t-shirt, black and white Nike shoes, and a black and white ball cap. A a whole week passed before he was reported missing on the 24th of June. He hasn't had any contact with his family, which is not like him. He's disabled, for which he does receive disability checks, but none of those checks have been cashed. Melody, what else can you tell us about this case that some people may not already know? Well... At 5.47 a.m., Father's Day morning, was the last text that Jimmy sent. Um, That's the last known time anybody's seen or talked to him. Um, Now, there was a call at 8.30 that morning to his mother that the mother missed. And when she tried to recall, uh, the wife said it was a mistake. So... The last time he was actually spoken to was 547 in the morning, June the 17th. Okay. And you said when she called back, the wife said it was a mistake. Do you mean that the wife answered his phone? I am assuming that it was the wife's phone. And I I did mistake it. It was a text. that She didn't answer the call. She texted back and said it was a mistake. Was that the end of that conversation? Or did she mention that anything was wrong? Was there any sort of indication at all at that point that there was anything strange going on? No. It was actually um, a week later when the family found out that Jimmy really hadn't been seen by nobody. A friend had come to them, to the mother, the daughter, and the aunt, and told them a pretty bizarre story, and they went and filed a police report. It was unusual for Jimmy not to contact his mother. Because she was his lifeline. She fed him. Um, she made sure he was okay. He was very sociable, so he didn't stay in one spot for long. 
So what, what was the bizarre story that was told? What was told was that Jimmy and Tracy were seen, Jimmy was seen running out of the house and his wife, Tracy, was chasing him, allegedly with a knife. And they went around the house and that was the last time the neighbor saw them. No law enforcement was called. Um, the friend neighbor told the family. That's when the family became concerned and went to the police. Okay. And so the neighbor told the family this when exactly? Uh, if, if my dates are correct, it was on the 20th that it was told. And on the family started searching then. By that the 24th, there had been nobody that had seen or spoken to Jimmy. Were there any strange happenings leading up to his disappearance? Any confrontations or conflict of any sort? The Saturday before Father's Day, um, Jimmy and Tracy paid a visit to his mother. And he asked his mom if he could store the rest of his furniture into her shed. Um, there became an not really an, an argument between the mother and the wife, and they left. Well, of course, Miss Dorothy, the mother, isn't one that leaves her children without telling them that she loved them. Or, you know, any mother would want to say goodbye to the child. So she called Jimmy on Tracy's phone and told him that she loved him and she was sorry that she held her tongue. And that was the actually the last time she spoke to her son. It was actually an argument in her front yard. But Jimmy wanted to move his furniture. Yeah. Jimmy wanted to move his furniture out of the home because him and his wife were, were getting a divorce. He was at the wife's house last. So we, that's the only place he could have been was the wife's house. That's where he told everybody he was going. And she says he walked out the door never to be seen again. I think that kind of answers a little bit of my next question, um, but you might be able to elaborate even more. What was the relationship like between Jimmy and his wife? Well, the wife doesn't doesn't cooperate with none of us, so I can't. I don't have her side. I only have rumor, speculation. So I don't want to say that. For sure how the relationship was. I know that there's been several domestic disputes at that home. I know there's been um, violence in that home. But also there was love in that home. So that Tracy, Tracy wanted a divorce. I guess she couldn't stand the lifestyle no more. She'd been with Jimmy for, I believe, 19 years. So, of course, she loved him. But where is Jimmy? Right. Where is Jimmy? But it was actually Tracy that wanted the divorce, not Jimmy, right? Yes. Tracy's the one that filed for the divorce. So was that divorce, that divorce was in the process when Jimmy went missing? Yes. How far into it were they? Do you know? I believe the papers were served after he was reported missing. Well, how would they have been served if he was missing? They couldn't have been served on him. Um, I think they was actually said. I see. Here we go. I believe 
I believe they was mailed to the last known address. Didn't she have someone else living in the house? Did uh, Tracy, not me, Tracy, um, his wife, Tracy, did, was there another man living in the house with Tracy? There was many men and women involved in Jimmy and Tracy's relationship. They had a very open marriage. So there was plenty of times that other men would stay, other women would stay, or men and women would stay. So, but actually living there, I do not know for fact that there was another man living there. I find this incredibly interesting. The, not to bring up Swift, but I might have to just for a second here because it seems there's some commonalities here, Um, you know, not necessarily with the nature of their marriage, but the fact that they were going through a divorce, um, which is one thing in common and that they both uh, were, had had affairs and it sounds like almost a swinger lifestyle. That's exactly, that's exactly the lifestyle that they, their marriage was in. They were swingers. See, I didn't know that. That's, that's new information for me. Um, is that pretty, is that common knowledge? It, yes, it's, it's very well known. I've spoken with several of um, their partners and it's been verified. Interesting. So, I mean, if anybody had a real close look into their relationship, uh, you would think it would have been the lovers. So are any of these lovers, you say you've spoken to them, so they must be some of the witnesses that you would refer to when you... Yes, yes. Um, Jimmy Jimmy actually had a girlfriend, and this girlfriend and Jimmy were very, very close. He actually, this relationship actually is what ended his marriage. Um, she was younger, and the wife brought her in to the home for purposes, you know, anyway. So, um, Jimmy and Julie, um, started a relationship and that relationship grew. Actually, the last person he texted was Julie. And what Julie knew instantly something was wrong with Jimmy because Jimmy was obsessed. (laughs) That's the word. Because he texted her every 15 minutes. And every 15 minutes, she texted him back. They constantly text. Which is really, I can't quite put a grasp on because we've always been under the assumption Jimmy didn't have a phone. Until recently, it came to our attention that a friend did give Jimmy a phone. I have found the owner of this secret phone. And this is a person of interest to me, but she refuses to speak, of course. And of course she's been questioned, but I also have, um, information that during the questioning, it was nothing but a laugh and joke stock. It never was seriously a question of where Jimmy was. So there we go again of why, why? Why is the police not taking this serious? Why do they? Rem- why is flyers being removed? Why? 
why does it seem that a lot of people aren't taking it serious if you're talking to people that just seem to be laughing it off? Even police laugh this off. They tell the family that Jimmy's on the beach drinking him a drink, living his life. To them, Jimmy was nothing but an addict. And that is so not what Jimmy was. Yes, he wasn't. He had a, a drug issue. But any person is more than just an addict. There's family. There's friends. There's people out there that love this man. For the last, oh, we're going on almost two years. And in two years, I've grown to love Jimmy. I want Jimmy found for his family. And I have to ask myself, um, how much of this common theme in Dyersburg actually leads to something much bigger? I could be overthinking it, but um, in my short time, in the last you know year and a half, almost two years that I've been working these cases in Dyersburg, you know we've gotten a lot of calls from people about this case, about uh, Robbie Robertson's case, of course Karen Swift's case, Durante Herbert's case, and then you got Jonathan Trumbull. Jonathan Trumbull, yeah. And but the thing is, you know that in and not all of those seem to have a connection. But the ones that I've really questioned whether there's a connection are Robbie Robertson, um, Jimmy Bingham, and uh, Curtis Tyler. No, Curtis Tyler's case, the, the, the issue with him is he was, his case was closed. So we, you, that lets you know nobody ever took his case seriously. His grandmother's last communication with her grandson was screaming for help that he was being chased. They was going to kill him. To this day, Dyer County Sheriff's Office has told this family that he died of um, an overdose. That toxicology proved this. Well, that can't be true. According to his autopsy, there is no toxicology ordered. He was found two years later. He was skeleton. He was bones. There was no toxicology able to be done. So how can they rule his death um, overdose when clearly the evidence doesn't point towards overdose? Well, there is no evidence to point to overdose is really more of the problem. None. And then, then Rob Robertson, this man just poof, disappeared. One story was told. We found out that story's not true. Now you have his clothes, his boots and stuff found halfway across town. So you got to ask who murdered Rob Robertson? And why has it been covered up? Where's Jimmy? Who murdered Curtis? So uh, your assumptions, to me, your assumptions are right on target, Heather. Well, I think that what has really stood out to me, and it's been a little bit overwhelming, and I wish that I could, you know, put uh, just all of my time and energy into working these cases. But as you know, you know, these cases that we've taken on, uh, 
are, we're just volunteering. We don't have a client. So obviously I have to also work and pay the bills and which takes away from the time I'd like to put into all of this. And, and it's a, it's a horrible feeling, you know, cause people reach out to you and they want your help and, and you, you want to help them and there's just not enough time in the day to, you know, to do all of this. But the calls that we have gotten, the, the Facebook messages, the tips, you know, that we have gotten, it seems that what we're seeing is a lot of, you know, like I said before, a lot of commonalities in these cases. And some of these commonalities are actually the players. Um, the same names are coming up and we're finding that some of the same people that were um connected or associated with this person over here, uh, you know, Rob, Robert Robertson, um, are also connected over here with Jimmy Bingham. And so you got these two people missing and these commonalities and these, you know, these, uh, common associates, so to speak. And it just makes you really wonder. And then in my case, you know, because I feel that, you know, we've really done a lot of digging and exposed some, some other things that, you know, just really paint a much, much bigger picture. And it just makes me wonder, you know, what the hell is going on down there? In the time that you have been with us, um, I have to say your assistance has been wonderful. Um, if you have answered a lot of my questions. You have helps me find answers to questions that I have. So even though you're not on the front line, you're still there, Heather. You know, Justice Warriors has stood up with me when everybody else walked away. And that took a lot of courage. And I'm very thankful for that. Tracy has been, Tracy's been amazing. She's there when I need somebody. And it's good not to be alone anymore. That's the way I look at it. I'm not fighting a fight alone anymore. Other people finally see what I've been trying to show. And that's an amazing feeling. Well, I think the great thing that we've seen, and I never in a million years could have um, imagined that this is how it would go down, but it's, it just seems like, you know, as soon as we all started to band together and speak out, you know, the support system that came from Dyersburg was just overwhelming. And I think that, you know, Melody, even without us, you know, you're not standing alone. You know, of course, you have the family and friends of the victims. And then just the way that Dyersburg has really stood up and you see them just starting to really want to uh, take their, their town back. And, um, you know, make the changes in their town. They're, they're not willing to just sit back and accept that this is how things are going to be. They, you know, the Dyersburg citizens that, that are actually involved with the Justice Warriors, they really seem very passionate about solving these cases and getting justice and changing the way things operate down there. I agree. The community has really grown. I have to brag for a moment because I came into a very dark area and in the time that I've been there, I, the area's 
now full of light. I, I have a year ago I met an addict that was drowning, and today she's ten weeks clean. There's another one I met at the very beginning, and she's six months clean. So I know that the influence that we are providing this town is hope. When a town has no hope, they only can live in darkness. And and there's so many in this community that want to rally and stand with us. It has been truly amazing. People that don't want to talk, they talk. They talk. Do they want their names known? No, because they're scared for their life. Will they give me the information? Yes, they will, because they do want help. But nobody's ever offered them the hand. I have a question for Melody. What is the investigating um, agency with Jimmy's case? The Dysburg Police Department. And I work very closely with the cap- with the investigator. He takes everything I, I give him and he runs it down. I do give him that. I brag on Dysburg Police Department because... At least they, at least the investigator that I work with cares. He really does care. He doesn't have a lot of um, answers, but at least he looks into what I send him. And you really can't ask more than that in Iceberg. Right. And, you know, that kind of brings me to a point that I wanted to make. It seems like in some of the cases that I've worked that the investigators tend to discredit witnesses before they even get a chance to hear what they have to say, you know, based on, you know, maybe that they are an addict, they are a known addict, a known drug user or a known drug dealer. And I've had this conversation so many times with, you know, my friend that used to work for the TBI, he's retired now, but I pick his brain quite a bit. And I've had this conversation with him. I've had this conversation with attorneys and I don't understand, you know, because when it comes to crimes like this, you know, murder, or I mean, you know, any sort of crime, really nine out of 10 times, the people who witness these crimes are not going to be your law abiding citizens because they're not the ones in that life you know, to witness it. So it doesn't make sense to me that the people that would actually have the information that they need to solve these crimes, that they wouldn't want to talk to them because of their lifestyle or whatever. And I understand that, you know, there, there is some credibility issue there, you know, with somebody who uses drugs, you know, you're going to have to question them and question them again, question them up, question them down, question them sideways, you know, question them all around, you know, just to be sure that they, that they're keeping their story straight. You know, there are ways to analyze what a person is saying to determine whether, you know, one, they would even last on a stand or whether they would just be torn to shreds or, you know, just to, indicate whether they are telling the whole truth. Um, So yeah, that's something that would have to be done, you know, in questioning when you are taking a statement, but to completely reject 
a statement from somebody to, you know, almost not even allow them to give their statement just because you know that they're a drug user. To me, what that tells me is that they don't want that information because if they want that information, you know, and, and, and the reason they wouldn't want that information is I guess, because it doesn't fit their agenda. It doesn't fit their narrative of what happened and it's going to completely blow their whole, you know, theory of what happened out of the water. And they don't want that, you know, they want to just prove what they think happened. So, you know, taking these statements from these people, they don't want that. But if they really wanted that statement, say hypothetically, if it actually backed up what they are trying to prove, then they would take the statement and they would find a way to make it stick in court. That's up to the district attorney. That's up to the prosecutor to make it stick. It is not the job of the detectives or the law enforcement to decide whether or not somebody is credible. No, you take the statement and you leave that up to the district attorney. As far as like Jimmy Bingham's case is concerned, I feel like there could be a little bit of that going on too, where there are actually people with information that maybe have given the information, but they're just being completely discredited. There is a lot of truth to that. There has been evidence that has been given that no longer exists. There's um, evidence that was video recorded, given to the Dyer County Sheriff's Department that now cannot be found. So somebody's given a video. What What is the video of? During a search by the family, um, there was a club that had brown stains on it that was found under a home. It the the family started recording on my advice and not touching it until the police arrived to collect the evidence. The evidence was given to the Dyer County Sheriff's Department while the family recorded and it was taken away. Why was it given to the Sheriff's Department if they're not the ones that actually have jurisdiction over the case? Um, at the time we were still working with David Pollock being under the bridge. Um, the Dyer County Sheriff's Department did have the case at this time. Um, and the Jimmy Bingham case? Yes, because they was they was to the point they accused the mother of not being the mother of Jimmy Bingham to prove that Jimmy Bingham was the one under that bridge. Wow. Yes, ma'am, I said that correct. Um, so the Dyer County Sheriff's Department was the one that would collected the evidence because it was in the county. So, but this club has disappeared. Interesting. So how do you know that the club has disappeared? How, how would you know that it's not in evidence? Well, we have contacted the investigator for Dysburg Police Department and made inquiries of the results of the club. And of course, he has no knowledge of it. And he went the proper channels to find. He says it's not. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. He doesn't know what anybody's talking about with the club. Same way with the clothes. There was clothes that was given that have disappeared. Nobody knows what the family's talking about, even though the family was the one that took the person there to deliver the clothes. 
evidence is just gone. They say they don't know what we're say we're talking about. Okay, so who exactly at the sheriff's department was this evidence given to, and who was it given by? I don't know exactly the officers' names that picked the club up from the scene, or you know where the evidence was at from the day from the time it left. There's actually, as I said, there's a video the that family was there. The as I said, that video is is there that shows that club that shows that information we made sure that there was proof that that club was given have you seen the video actually it's too long for me to see um the person that has it has not found a way to show it to me so no i have not seen it of course i was on the phone with philip mcknight when all of this was going on I, even though i'm virtually their family advocate i can't personally be there but through technology i can and this family has made sure that I'm there on a lot of the searches. Okay, so just to be clear, the club went to the sheriff's department and since disappeared. And where did the clothes go? The clothes were delivered to Dysburg Police Department. Um, I cannot give facts of who it was handed to. Just the fact that the family took the person to deliver the clothes there. But what you're telling me is that the clothes which were delivered to the police department and the club, which was picked up by the sheriff's department, are both missing. According to the investigator, he doesn't know what I'm talking about when I have asked about them. Is it possible? Now, I'm, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here, and <laughs> what a pun on words right now, but um, is it possible that they are just saying they don't know what you're talking about because they can't share information about an open investigation. Could that be what's going on with the club and the clothes? With the clothes? You know, honestly, yes. Because, of course, they're not giving me information. That's not the way they work. They take my information and go from there with it. Do I know they run it through? Yes, because they let me know that they have looked into what I sent them. Um, so yes, it's very possible, but speaking on the phone with them verbally and hearing them tell me they don't know, it doesn't seem that way to me. It seems like to me the evidence just isn't there. Okay, Melody, thank you so much for all of that information. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we close today? There's a, there's a mother that is grieving, that has lost her husband has lost her son, and all she wants is her son. She wants, if he's alive, she wants to know he's okay. If he's no longer alive, she wants to give him a final place to rest. She just wants answers. This family is being destroyed because they don't have the answers they need. And nobody other than us that even communicate with them. They don't get calls back from the police. The investigator never returns a mother's phone call. Not even just to say, we have nothing. She knows nothing. Please, if anybody has any information, please come forward, say something. Help us find Jimmy. If you think you might have information leading to the whereabouts of Jimmy Bingham, please contact the Dyersburg Police Department at 
7679 or Dyersburg Crime Stoppers at 731-285-TIPS. If you'd like to reach HMC Investigations, you may do so either through the Justice Warriors Facebook page or by emailing us directly at hmcinvestigations at gmail.com. You may contact Melody by email at melodydawn1975 at gmail.com. For discussion and updates on the case, please follow the Where is Jimmy Bingham Facebook page. This concludes today's episode of the Justice Warriors. Melody, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Until next time, keep fighting for justice. so that their souls may have peace.